Broadcasting live from bringing night vision goggles to the theater to see the night scenes, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly. And I'm Garrett Strother. Oh, and my goodness gracious, we are finally here, ladies and gentlemen, after weeks of covering the expanded indie Harrison Ford-verse. We are <laughs> did landing we, Did here. we cover the expanded universe of Indiana Jones? Oh, that's why I said the Harrison Ford verse, because I was like, you know, we mentioned a lot of other little little weird things that we've always known about this franchise, but now we're now we're coming to the period on the end of the sentence here. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. It is gonna be an interesting talk, I suppose is a good way to say that for now. It's not entirely i haven't entirely settled on a few things yet and i think we might i might flip-flop as we talk we will later, work through them together shame this is therapy for our indiana jones brains you know us clutching all of our indie merch from childhood but first we got to get to some news unfortunately up top alan arkin famed actor academy award winner for his role in little miss sunshine has passed away. He was 89 years old, long full life. Honestly, probably a little bit older than I thought he was. He's looked the same for 20 years, I guess. Yeah, I feel like he's he's very much played that same grandpa, older grandpa, gruff man since Little Miss Sunshine, you know? I mean, also, we've talked about him from the Rocketeer specifically, <gasps> of course, on this show many times. He, he is a... <laughs> is a a show stealer in that movie. He's such a fun character there. Yeah, I love him in The Rocketeer. That's probably the first time I ever saw him, I would imagine. I think he's also fantastic in Edward Scissorhands. Oh, definitely, yeah. That is that is a classic role. I always love to see him in there. I would probably say Edward Scissorhands was probably the first time I saw him, but probably the first time I noticed him. As stupid as this sounds, was the Get Smart, the 2008 Get Smart movie. <laughs> sure. Where he plays, like, the head of the intelligence agency. That was always locked in my head as some classic comedy from the man. Obviously, he holds his own in Glengarry Glen Ross as well, amidst a sea of other fantastic actors. I do like him in Little Miss Sunshine. I think he, like, he deserved the Oscar for that role. Oh, 100% for sure. I, I was pretty young when I first saw that, and I it, it was a very strange and hard movie for me to conceptualize in a lot of ways, but he, he always stood out for sure as, you know, a little bit less horrific in that in that insane family. I don't know if he's that, I don't know if he's less horrific. I don't know. He's got some pretty dark stuff going on in that movie. Well, like I said, what did that movie come out in 2005? <laughs> Something 2000, like that, I was, yeah. I was, I didn't see it in like theaters or anything, but I definitely remember watching it and being like, I'm going to need to watch this again one day. I don't even know who Paul Dano is yet. I can't even, I can't <laughs> even appreciate this right now. He's also the best part of Argo, I would say. I don't know how oh, you feel about hell Argo. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. Weirdly enough, two of the most memorable, maybe not the best movies I ever saw in, like, class in high school, but definitely some of the most memorable were Argo and Gattaca, which I also believe that he is He's in. also in that. Yeah, I yeah, think so. It, it, that's kind of crazy that I'm only now putting that together, that my weird high school movie experiences all had Alan Arkin in them. Great actor, and I will miss seeing him pop up in new ones. But coming up next here on the news, this is something that you're going to need to break down for me a little bit because you you are attuned to this. That, that I, I have not taken the plunge yet. But Olivia Coleman, Rachel Zegler, Antonio Banderas, and Emily Mortimer are joining Paddington 3. Now, Garrett, tell me what the, tell me what this means to you. What, what does this signify right now? Now... You would think, Seamus, that this is news that I would be excited about because I love these I actors. Would. All I of them. really would. <laughs> I mean, Olivia Coleman, amazing. Rachel Zegler, great rising star. Antonio Banderas, he's literally Zorro. You yeah, know, I, I mean, yeah. Emily Mortimer, great actor. I don't have as much to say about her, but she is great. Hey man, her her couple episodes on Thirty Rock, I, I heard the way she says "my bones." I'll never, I'll never forget it. <laughs> Hi, I'm Phoebe. You probably Phoebe. don't remember. Me. <laughs> That's so good. But here's the problem with Emily Mortimer, and again, nothing against her. She's been brought in to replace Sally Hawkins, and 
I am not interested in a Paddington movie without Sally Hawkins. This is a recast? This is a recast. Oh my goodness, that is... That is interesting. Why would they ruin the perfect game that they've got going here? That's too much of an audible right there. Because I was already on the fence about Paul King not coming back to direct. Because he just knocked it so out of the park with the first two. Mm. I literally do not know where you can go after Paddington 2 but down, frankly. (laughs) One of the greatest films of the 21st century, non-hyperbole. We need to watch them, dude. I, I'm every time we talk, we talk about Paddington news on the show. Literally every time it comes up, and every time I'm like, I should really get around to that. But yeah, you should. Just get around watching Fast and the Furious movies, Garrett. We got to get onto <sighs> the the art pieces. But Sally Hawkins, the beating heart of the Paddington series, and I just don't see this movie working without her. And again, as good as Emily Mortimer is, she's not Sally Hawkins. Well, I'm definitely going to be interested to see, like, you're, you're my test for Paddington for me. If this if this somehow pulls through and you're, like, fairly impressed with the hand that this third one is dealt, then, you know, I will take your word over anyone else's. But I'd like to get caught up with you, I think, before uh, before this one comes to fruition. They haven't even started shooting yet. We've got some time. But we have some more casting news for our last bit here which is David Crenswet and Rachel Brosnahan are the new Superman and Lois Lane in James Gunn's Superman Legacy. Rachel Brosnahan, famed for her role on The Marvelous Miss Maisel, she seems like a no-brainer to me. She's got that Lois Lane spunk about her. This other guy, David Crenswet, I've never seen him in anything to my knowledge. I know he was on The Politician with Ben Platt, which people watched and liked, I think. But... He certainly looks like Superman. Yeah, I think he's got a good, uh, I think he's got a good Superman face. It's all about that square jaw, that tight black hair that he's got going on. I think it'll, I think it'll be good, but I truly know these people zero percent. I, I know that you know that I'm not a huge Superman. Per- For all intents and purposes, I should be. I used to love reading random Superman comics, and that was my, that was my whole deal growing up, but I never really cared too much for most Superman content. Like, the only real Superman movie I've ever seen was Man of Steel. And it, maybe even some people would protest on my use of the phrase real Superman movie, but... I wasn't going to say anything, Seamus, except for the fact that I was, so... <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, I like I like how this guy looks. Uh, this, uh, this is interesting mostly to me. One, because I'm just interested to see how these people that I have no idea who they are, how they do, but also this confirms that this Superman legacy is, in fact, completely different from the Black Superman project that was announced so long ago that we covered on this show. I hope that is still in existence somewhere, but it surely is not this version of Superman now. Yeah, it's too bad that that seems to not be moving forward at all, but I am excited about the looks of these. It'll be nice to have, hopefully, a Superman that feels like Superman again on the big screen. Give me a screen test. Let me see the man in in the buff in the buff suit and and the cape and all that. I'm 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 there for it. I want to see what it looks like. But trade in your red undies and your cape, Seamus, and put on the hat and the whip because it's time to go into our main segment. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. For today's main segment, we are covering Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, the final Indiana Jones film, or so they say, God only knows how long they can keep something like this up. This is, it's been an interesting two days to think about this movie since we saw it yesterday together, and I would love to know a few of your thoughts, maybe some of your thoughts that have changed since we were we were chit-chatting on the bus ride back. This movie... I like it less than I thought I did yesterday. (laughs) Not that I really was super like, whoa, about it when we got out of the theater. Because it's weird. Choices were made on multiple (laughs) fronts that genuinely baffle me. I think that a lot of it is the action in this. There's a lot of really good concepts for Indiana Jones action sequences that are executed terribly and look awful, as we alluded to earlier. Mm-hmm. And not just the night scenes, though. I think generally the action looks bad, which is too bad because I think that the scenes where they're just sitting around talking actually yeah, look pretty gems. good. 
there are some real gems in there, yeah. But, yeah, uh, I didn't like the action, which is a big part of the Indiana Jones franchise. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, weird how that is, yeah. The script didn't even need another pass. The script needed to, like, be torn down and rebuilt, which is really funny because about halfway through this movie, I was like, you know, the script isn't really the problem with this movie. And then the second (laughs) half of the movie happened, I said, wait, never mind. Like, wait a second, I need to go back and do some rethinking. Yeah, that is kind of how I was... I was really on board for a good chunk there, though. I was doing my best to ignore some of the visually strange things that were going on with a few, you know, the flashback sequences, some of the action that was just kind of falling flatter than I would have liked in my Indiana Jones finale movie. But Certainly. I liked the first parts of it a lot more than I liked the second parts of it. I think it drags on for a little while because of a long. few side characters that maybe could have been fully cut way well, replaced earlier. replaced by side characters I actually liked is another idea I maybe had. Yeah, yeah that would have been nice too. There, There's, as stupid as it sounds, I was like ready for more fan service like, all right, yeah, give me somebody I care about. Make somebody there... go on this adventure with old Indiana Jones and make it somebody that I have stakes already in and don't make this an overbloated movie trying to convince me that these new characters are going to, you know, hold that same place in my heart that some others do. I can't believe that I'm saying this about an Indiana Jones movie made by Disney. <laughs> I don't think there's enough fan service in this movie. And when it is in the movie, I think they cram it all together. There's like, hey, here's one fan service scene that's all, all, all the fan concentrated service. and it's only fan service. I think, honestly, I, this is the conclusion I have come to, especially after my recent reappraisal. I think that I don't like this movie as much as I like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And there it is. We got him. We got him, ladies and gentlemen. He's finally come around on Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I think I agree with you. And you knew I was going to agree with you probably because by the time the credits were rolling on this one, I was like, damn, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was like kind of decent. That's so weird that everybody dogged on it for so long there's a couple of things going on i'm not just gonna say that not explore (laughs) that further of course of course i do think that this is a more consistent whole than crystal skull i think that the highs of crystal skull are just way higher there's gonna be a lot of things that we say and i don't necessarily want to hold them against james mangold because i have no idea what the production of this movie was like i have no idea how much freedom he was given because there are some parts of this movie that really feel like james mangold did them and there are some parts that really feel like they were directed by the same ai that does the marvel action sequences (laughs) yeah 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 so who knows what's going on there not me yeah it is so strange in some points of this movie and granted i genuinely do want to see it again i want the shock of having a new indiana jones happen in this day and age, in the year of our Lord, 2023, I want to be able to kind of just examine it a little more because there are things that in my own like movie structure brain, I was like, okay, look at this, look at this trail of breadcrumbs that they're leaving in like very important events between these like mostly side characters, granted, and that's what kind of why I thought it was going to come through to fruition a little farther in like the main story. But then you follow this trail of breadcrumbs all the way through this, like, two and a half hour movie, and then it doesn't necessarily do a single damn thing with 90% of of what they were, what, what at least I thought that I recognized that they were setting things up for. There are tons of dropped threads in this movie because the third act makes some baffling choices that we will get into. (laughs) And I would love to know if maybe reshoots are happening there. Like, really late in production. Because I have some theories, and, you know, I don't want to, like, be a jerk and be like, this movie is so whack in specific parts that there must have been something crazy that they already shot and wrote and yeah and they got rid of for some reason like it might just be that they were spinning their wheels a little bit by the end here and that that is a little bit of a bummer all in all after a lot of hype that i sustained for this movie yeah but back back briefly to my crystal skull thing crystal skull for all of its flaws and there are many feels like indiana jones for most of its runtime and i Mm. think that this movie has shown Kind of like just having Darth Vader in your movie doesn't make it feel like Star Wars. 
just because Harrison Ford is standing in front of you in the whip and the hat isn't going to make it feel like Indiana Jones. Part of that is, part of the joy of Indiana Jones is that Spielberg has this formal flourish that is awe-inducing. This movie just doesn't have that, really. Even the introduction of Indy in this movie, I think, is underwhelming compared to his introduction in every other movie. Yeah, yeah. We'll obviously get into a lot of those kinds of specifics more in spoilers, but we mentioned this during our Raiders episode. If you think about something like The Map Room, in this movie, that would be Indiana Jones slots it into the thing, and the light goes, and it goes, well, guess I know where we're going now, and then he'd, like, <laughs> hobble out of the room, instead of one of the greatest non-action, silent set pieces in the entire franchise. You know what, Garrett? Even specifically in specific scenes, I think if, if I don't know if you're referencing specific scenes in the Dial of Destiny where that is kind I am. of where my mind. Yes. I am. Okay. Yeah. Because I think I know exactly what the hell you're talking about. It's a Disney Indiana Jones movie, so I I was thinking a lot about that going in. But on the same level of like, you can't just put Harrison Ford in a hat and give him a whip and have you feel something. It's very similar to a lot of other disney revivals of things where it's like you can't just have another character attempt an indiana jones style thing and then be like see it's updated for everyone it's like that's just not what anybody who cares about this kind of franchise or this franchise specifically wants out of any of that it is it's a nice attempt and you know there's a there's a vibe and a theme that they're going for with these newer characters but it just isn't what it's not what Indiana Jones is, you know? It's 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 lacking in that department. I had this thought about midway through the movie, and then I thought, no, that's not fair to this movie to compare <laughs> it to this thing. And then now, after reflecting on it, I am going to go ahead and say it anyway. I think this movie is a lot like Live Free or Die Hard, the fourth Die Hard movie, where interesting the character stuff in live for your die hard surprisingly actually pretty compelling this movie's better than live for your die hard i'm not gonna you know, <laughs> but you know john mcclain is dealing with the you know what happens when you save the, the day three times in a row they say thanks for saving the day and then they don't nothing else happens <laughs> you know and like dealing with that kind of stuff and then the action is just like incomprehensible superhero garbage oh that's that's very sad because i that is where my uh, die hard knowledge ends is after three i don't know what the hell happens in those good. movies good for you and that's kind that's... that's what i kind of hear and you know if somebody was like is it essential to watch the dial of destiny i would i would probably give them that comparison maybe that caveat it's like yeah i mean like if you want the technically the whole canon story of it all go give it a shot it's good to see once and i'm like i already said before i definitely want to see it again just for my own sake but i don't want to say this too much out of spoilers but i also think that frankly this is not really as successful a end cap on Indiana Jones as a character as I was expecting it to be so yeah, me neither dude I think we're definitely once we we're gonna have one specific part of this movie we're definitely gonna just absolutely rip apart and, dude, and dissect here dude but, <laughs> dude <laughs> you're gonna, we're gonna get there I promise you but I I know what you mean I was expecting like a stupid ah this really does sound dumb I was expecting like endgame-ish stakes to be presented and resolved where maybe not technically it's the end of everything that could ever happen in that kind of realm but there are things that are important and those important things come full circle things that happen can't just keep happening it is a, it is an end point it is a period on the sentence that feels a little more definitive than anything else I think we should definitely jump into some spoilers. Before we do, I think we should give a final... If you like Indiana Jones, which most people listening to this episode do, should you see it? Like, and I know we kind of already covered that, but what do you think, Seamus? Like, really, should you see this movie if you like Indiana Jones? I think you should see this movie if you like Indiana Jones. I enjoyed my time in the theater. I think that it was still fun enough in the parts that it was fun in that i if i'm doing a definitive indie watch i post crystal skull i'd be like all right i'll throw i'll throw it on i'll 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 wrap it up here sure it's not the best i would say it is probably the worst uh, out of out of all five of these movies that are out now but i still think it's 
redeeming enough in some parts and certainly crazy enough to watch as a spectacle to to come and and see if you like Indiana Jones. I agree with you, Seamus. I think you summed up my thoughts perfectly. For anything else, it's just the curiosity of what the hell they're doing with Indiana Jones in this year right now. And and I think that, that it satisfied that itch in my brain of like, what could they possibly do? What could they possibly get this old man up to at this point? And it was interesting, to, and it held my held my curiosities all the way through. But there you have it, official spoiler warning for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny and also all the other Indiana Jones movies, obviously. So, let's go ahead and get into it, because Indiana Jones may not die in this movie, but Mutt Williams did die in Vietnam. <laughs> oh my god, we're jumping right into it. Literally, maybe the most interesting detail to me in this it entire is, movie. It's the best part of the movie. The it's fact crazy. that Mutt died in Vietnam is the best part of this movie, and I don't mean that just like because it's hilarious, Cause though it's it is also hilarious. of all time. They tease us right off the bat. We're not even getting into the flashback intro at this point. We'll, we'll get right? there. We will get we'll there. Get, we'll circle back around like that Nazi train. But again, we get to old Indy. It's 1969. Man has just walked on the moon. It's literally... Man, it's so. Moon Day, Mr. Jones. Man doesn't even call him Dr. Jones. That's disrespectful as hell. <laughs> he goes to the, his neighbor's house with a bat, whatever. We see Mutt <laughs> Williams' picture on the shelf next to... Next to old dad, Sean Connery's up there too, just like Crystal Skull. Marcus is out. Marcus's picture is in the bottom of the drawer. And then we just get drip-fed throughout the movie. I thought I was hearing things when Indiana Jones is sad watching the TV and the newspaper's like, Dr. Henry Jones Jr., uh, his son having recently died. I was like, what? I had to like turn to you to make sure I heard that right. Mm -hmm. It it was so shocking. Yeah, and then finally we get to... One of the best scenes in the movie where he reveals that if he could go back in time with a dial of destiny, he would go back and warn his son not to enlist because he would die. Harrison Ford is trying way more in this than he was in Crystal Skull, I think. You feel his grief, and it seems so in character for Mutt. Like, I can picture the way that scene went and the way Mutt's enlistment went. It could really easily feel like Crystal Skull doesn't matter and we're just getting rid of it. But instead, the movie accepts Crystal Skull at face value and goes, okay, what is the most interesting place that we can put Indy in, in this time period that's, like, Vietnam is very relevant, you know, to the time period that this movie's set. Mm. So what can we do with what we have from Crystal Skull for character work? And it works so well. Yeah, by the time we get to that monologue about him, Harrison Ford, like, really welling up there, the way he says, like, I would have told him he's going to die, like, that broke my heart watching that. He really, like you were saying, he's trying so much harder. A lot of the gimmick of Crystal Skull felt like, here we go, it's old Indiana Jones thrown right back into the thing that he's always done, and this is like Indiana Jones deals with loss for the entire film, like for real, finally, he deals with loss, and it's it's heartbreaking as hell, and especially the details of, it, it wasn't like a tragic, Mutt Williams is drafted into Vietnam and dies, and Indy has a hard political opinion about, you know, the war right now specifically. It was about their relationship. It was about him entering Mutt Williams's life that late and in the way that he did and trying to, you know, whatever, replace the guy that that he thought was his father that they mentioned and and how that just rips his life apart. It is genuinely insanely dark and heartbreaking for a movie that is otherwise not entirely impressive in the ways that I was going in expecting it to be impressive. The promise of what he says to Sala when Sala drops him off the airport. By the way, Sala in this movie, like John Reese davies is good. <laughs> Parts of it are poignant, but he is used in a way that I do not think is what you could have fully gotten out of that character in this movie. Mm-hmm. But the best scene that he has is the scene where he drops Indy off at the airport and he says, I'm bringing my passport. I'm ready for one last adventure if you are. And Indy goes, this isn't an adventure, Sala. I've got to get my goddaughter back. And the promise of I have to go be Indiana Jones one last time, but not for the normal Indiana Jones reasons is so cool. And then 
almost no exploration after that point of that. Uh, yeah, for real. It's it's immediately back to like MacGuffin-y things and his motivations seem to be as tired as he seems in like throughout this entire movie. The chase doesn't feel as electric as it used to. The things that they're trying to collect weren't as exciting as they could have been like in past movies. And the search for them takes up more of this movie than it should. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It is a travesty that we are introduced to and then tragically taken away from Antonio Banderas in the way that that happens. One of the, like the best side character in this movie, I think that is a new, like original side character, I should say. Dude, I I would love to know what their history is. He he sees him on the dock and he like he lights up and maybe that's just Antonio Banderas being himself, but they have this weird old history together and he does him this favor like instantly he has no questions asked. He's all ready to go to also join this adventure and then he gets shot to death by Mads Mikkelsen and fam out there trying to get all this this weird dial of destiny stuff. There are moments of this movie like the solace scene, like the mutt scene, where you're like, this is the guy who directed Logan. This is what I was expecting as the farewell to Indiana Jones. And then the rest of it's just dumb. The rest of it's just a dumb yeah, movie. Yeah, dude. Uh, yeah, it, it really is. The cool parts are cool. I genuinely... Well, I think that the young CGI face with the old Harrison Ford voice in the flashback stuff is pretty pretty distracting. And the lighting of that intro flashback train thing was insane to try to, like, squint my eyes to see through what the hell was happening in between, like, machine gun fire flashes. But overall, I thought that was, you know, a cool thing. Like, yeah, let's do... One last ride, Garrett. We're going to plop you right into Indy's prime middle of the adventure moments to to start this movie off and we're going to we're going to get it started right and I think there was a lot of cool stuff that they did with that. But then man, does it just screech to a halt pretty much right after I mean the motorcycle horse chase, even that felt like it was a little lame. Well, my whole take on all of the action in this movie, including the opening, is Again, a lot of really great concepts for Indiana Jones action that are executed terribly. They feel rubbery and overly CGI'd, and the coverage isn't even good. And I've said to you multiple times, I wish Brad Bird had done this movie. Mm. But again, that's only predicated on the idea that Mangold had any actual creative freedom. Because I'm like, James Mangold is a good action filmmaker. There are some classic Indiana Jones setups well really only in the opening there are because i wish that they had some more later in the film but the environment is collapsing around you and you've got to figure out what's going on while you're also fighting a big guy with a wrench or whatever and right the moment on the train where the aa gun is taking out cars as the train goes around a curve that's a great setup for an indiana jones scene that i thought was ultimately pretty lame also i like better the idea of the noose that you're hanging from the rafters on is the only thing saving you from falling through the burned down floor <laughs> below you. But it was just so cartoony and ragdolly because between the bad CGI, or not bad, it looks really good, except for the fact that I just hate it. The ghoulish, I should say. The, sure, the uncanny, if you will. It, it looks technically pretty dynamite, but we know what we're looking at there. Between the weird CGI young indie and the cartoonish premise of that action sequence and the poor way in which it was presented visually i found no enjoyment in it it's a movie that is never boring but never thrills me i am never truly entertained i don't think i never get again the indiana jones feeling I will say that the Indiana Jones feeling of this movie is definitely rationed out pretty pretty scarcely throughout this movie, if I'm being honest as well. I won't say there's zero of it. There are things that are, you just can't do that any other place but Indiana Jones. But enjoyment may be a different idea here. Well, I, again, I think that it could have been cut down significantly by maybe getting rid of that kid character early on. Or like you were saying, turn that kid character into a kid character, I give a damn about or like who is gonna do something that actually matters in the climax or along the adventure well, but like literally right like there's so many even... things that they set up with him and then just do nothing the only cool thing he does 
in the entire movie is handcuff the big henchman underwater to that drainage <laughs> pipe. Which is crazy to see that child commit a murder by drowning, right? Like, that was, that was that what you were thinking about? I also think that it's a cool kind of subversion of the whole movie. They've got this big guy, and it's like, there's going to be a part where Indy has to fight the big guy, and then, no, the kid just takes him out in a way that does not... It doesn't matter how big that guy is, that he yeah, dies I mean, that way. He's just a guy true. that dies that way. It does matter that he's such a brute that he breaks the ancient bridge that they're walking across. That, That's I mean, true. There's something there, I guess. I don't know if. I mean, I frankly, I would, I would, I would rather just have Indy fight the the fight the big guy. I would like Indy to fight the big guy. Like yeah, he fight, does in all the push other him into movies. a propeller again. I would love like, to see that. Screw <sighs> it, right? I mean, who cares? Push him into a propeller that the kid is piloting the plane for because for some reason that's the one second of stupid exposition that he works in a Moroccan club where pilots go to drink and they're teaching him on a cardboard setup how to fly a plane. Again, cool concept for an Indiana Jones thing executed not well really the question is why executed it at all it didn't matter in the last part pretty much at all he has to have a plane to get them home that's really the only just anybody else with a second plane man like it could have been could have just been the italian guy with the plane (sighs) the italian guy who has no payoff he's just it's just like a joke they have one joke where oh wouldn't it be funny if there was an italian guy asleep in the backseat my plane oh god and then, then he, he like cartoonish looking at him and then like big bug-eyed scream of like we're gonna crash oh god it's exhausting a little bit considering let's talk about the dial of destiny a little bit maybe i the... feel like i didn't think they could do it i did not think they could do it <laughs> but they After found a MacGuffin <laughs> lamer than the crystal skull dude because the crystal skull is actually a cool idea again but just boiling down the Antikythera mechanism as, like, two halves of a time travel portal key. But, surprise, the portal key only sends you back to one place and then nowhere else? Is that what I remember it doesn't hearing make at sense. the end I of have, that? I have been thinking about this for 24 hours straight. Like, why it have a thing that you have to input the coordinates? And it, it's not creating a time tear, it's finding a time tear. So, Archimedes was just aware that there happened to be a time fissure going on right during the most important moment of his life that also, like, (laughs) what's the point? Literally, nothing changed by them going there. They didn't help Archimedes. Nothing happened. I don't (laughs) understand what the plot of the movie was. I agree completely of what you're saying. We could theoretically ask ourselves to be like, Oh, I guess he knows that the mechanism that he's building is for a time machine for this exact day because he saw Indiana Jones but come through and he showed Indiana him. why does Indiana Jones need to come at all? There's no point. Again, they're setting up these breadcrumbs. This is weird. This phoenix carving has propellers like a plane. Oh, this is weird. Archimedes' tomb, he's wearing a wristwatch. Oh, there's uh, there's stuff that makes it seem like the importance of time itself is at stake, and then it just isn't at all. We don't even see it not be at stake because Indiana Jones gets his ass knocked out and carried back to the present, and nothing nothing matters. It's crazy. Archimedes doesn't even get the watch that he's supposed to get to have in the tomb that they find with the second half of the thing. Well, I was unclear he on gives that. It back. I was unclear on that because he does give it back, but then he's like, no, we need to leave it. I want to die here. I want to die in history like my and son he, died uh, in Vietnam. God. Imagine if they brought Mutt Williams back and he died in war, but it was the siege of Syracuse <laughs> in, in 212, and that's the war he dies in. See, that's the things that they could have done with the dial of destiny garrett well here's my other thing with the dial of destiny and this sounds petty but it's true the silhouette of the dial of destiny looks stupid it's just (laughs) a box behind the sheet the train and stuff one of the only times they really try to ape spielberg at all in this movie and i'm like they should have i i do seamus (laughs) <laughs> you're not I, you're not allowed to respond to this it's just a statement i'm I gonna make watch it over me <laughs> and I, i'll get back to the dial of destiny in a moment because that's important i'll need to finish that thought there is only one living filmmaker who has successfully replicated spielberg's style 
in a way that I think works, and that is J.J. Abrams. <laughs> and, you know? All right, I'm not. I'm not allowed to respond. I mean, I am. I'm. I'm swishing it around for a little bit here. I'm. I'm letting it. I'm letting it marinate. I. I don't necessarily disagree. I'm a little. I'm a little. I'm not saying that he storytells as well as Spielberg, but just in terms of like, if you want a guy who can make a movie look like Steven Spielberg maybe made that movie, Abrams can do that. Super Eight specifically, I think is the Super movie. Eight, dude. I'm thinking a lot about Super Eight as you're saying this, and I th- that's why I don't necessarily disagree. He's got for as for as many as his stupid little JJ isms that I have problems with. He's got a little movie magic in his fingertips. Yeah. I think he he can make it happen somehow, and I I do respect that about him. Because, again, one of the only times in this movie that they ape Spielberg, there's a scene on the train where the Dial of Destiny is introduced, and like you alluded to, there's a sheet, and we're looking through the sheet at the silhouette of Mads Mikkelsen holding the dial. And, again, he's just holding a box. And it roots back Uh. to the whole problem, because in every other movie, the MacGuffin has a power. The MacGuffin itself is an object of power. And the Dial of Destiny is a compass. Because the Crystal Skull, like we said last week, has a cool amount of buildup. Like, why is it magnetic? What oh, was yeah, it not right? carved? What is all the deal? Like, what is all the deal with all of this? And this is just like Archimedes broke it in half. I get like Indiana Jones literally <laughs> at one point goes, "It's an ancient box of gears, honey." Yeah, my goodness, God, it makes it feel when we get down to like the ultimate power of the dial of destiny and the idea that Mads Mikkelsen is going to go back to assassinate Hitler, take over the third Reich and then use his foreknowledge of the future and his like scientific rocket brain to like make the outcome of the war different. That's kind of rad. I was expecting us to, I was expecting a little bit of edge of tomorrow up in here. If I'm being honest, I was expecting we were going to keep going back to the train over and over and there were going to be different people that are like walking out of the mist on top of the train that are going to affect the outcome of the the destiny of the dial of destiny it's kind of lame all in all we get to the mind-blowing thing quote-unquote and then we don't even get to do anything fun or cool with it do i like the imagery of the guy from logan spraying down romans with an mg42 out of like a nazi plane yeah sure like that's an exciting thing to think about in itself but like you're saying they don't they don't have as much fun as they could with the idea of like a troop of nazis with guns being in this battle there are two things going on there one once they realize they're back in time i feel like the stakes are just kind of over it's like the nazis went to the wrong place and now what it's not like they're gonna die in some horrific way like they blow up in a plane and both of them die in the same way so dumb they like rip mads mickelson's face up like i'm supposed to be like whoa that's so crazy that he died like that but he goes out like a punk that is not the caliber of death that i really really wanted for voler dr voler schmidt that's a schmidt is an easier nazi name to remember if i'm being honest they did that like it was a reveal and i'm like (laughs) yeah Werner von braun didn't change his name like he was just a nazi (laughs) in nasa that's how it was unless that guy was renee belloc's cousin or something they shouldn't they shouldn't have made that a thing (laughs) uh indiana jones with a vengeance (laughs) yeah he's got the little circle glasses on like it's like it's the guy the second thing about them going back in time other than it being lame is that if we were going to go back in time, I agree with you. We should have just gone to World War II again. I don't think I already said this on the show, although I think anybody who knows me from the show or heard what I said earlier could probably surmise, they should have just recast Indy for the young Indy sequence. Because I think that that is actually, for the story they were telling, it is necessary to have that sequence at the beginning. You need the World War II sequence at the beginning. Get Alden Ironreich from Solo. Get him back. I would love that for real. I would actually. I think he's a. I think he's a class act. That he's a great that actor. man. He was good in Solo. Never saw. He's the guy in um, Hail Caesar, right? He's amazing in Hail Caesar. That's what he's I. So that's what I hear. That was like his big break or whatever. I. I would have been delighted to have him pull double duty on young Harrison Ford and do Solo and Young Indiana Jones. That would really tickle me. Because the whole point of this movie is. We shouldn't try to go back to the past and change the past. What's past is past. But also, 
what if we could change the past and make it so that Harrison Ford is young again so I never have to stop playing with my action figures? <laughs> oh, God. I agree with you. I think they should have probably just recast him. The distracting nature of how weird it looks... Because there are some shots that it looks like it is restored footage from a million years ago, and then there are other shots where I'm like, no matter how much they shake the one light bulb above his face and make it look insanely shadow moving, I'm gonna notice that it's messed up CGI. No matter how much they bump the lamp, please see our pop culture reference there episode you go. on Roger there Rabbit. You go. <laughs> exactly. Don't necessarily even, I think post-Crystal Skull, there's no such thing as Indiana Jones re-jumping the shark. Time travel has always been on the table in my mind for this movie. I just wish... You weren't so night at the museum about it? Oh my, exactly, dude. I really do. I wish they got the Dial of Destiny in, like, the beginning of the second act, and they were all transported back, and they had to, like, figure out how to get, like, race back to a portal somewhere from the past to get back first, or some something. I don't know. That would have been cool. That sounds like a better movie than this movie. Like, the idea of Indiana Jones having to puzzle solve his way through not ancient puzzles, like, new puzzles that are in ancient ancient. In a time and place where philosophers were like, yeah, this is self-explanatory and our modern minds are like, we have no idea what this thing was used for 2,000 years ago. Maybe Voller is like, planting nazi seeds in ancient syracuse and indiana jones is like we can't mess with the past no matter how much i want to i'm indiana jones and i have to respect stuff i don't know there's something they could have done besides plop them in ancient syracuse and then cut to black and plop them back in 1969 new york i think like crystal skull they explain too much about what's going on and instead there should have been like like the end of close encounters where it's like uh uh-oh like some Civil War guys just wander out of a portal, and you're like, what is going on? Marion's in this movie. At the end of this movie, the very end of this movie, that was a surprise to me. Did you have any idea? Did you have hear anything at all about her being in this movie? Well, I'd seen her on the red carpet, so I thought that there was a good chance, but I had no idea that she was, in fact, in the movie. But, like, we also saw, like, Kihi Kwan and the kid who played the Maharaja. Were yeah. they on the red carpet, too? Yeah, I, exactly. I'm glad Kihi Kwan wasn't in this movie as much as I want to see Short Round come back. If they played more with time travel, you know that would have been a must, but they just didn't. Once again, I don't hate what they do with Marion in this movie. The idea that she would be so grief-stricken that it would, in some capacity, impact their marriage makes sense. The, the fact that... It's just magically solved at the end makes less sense to me. What did Indiana Jones learn? Maybe like, nothing as far as I know. He was like, he learned that he is apparently not allowed to choose to die in <laughs> Syracuse in 212 and hang out with Archimedes until his bullet wound got infected and killed him. This is one of the fan service scenes where Marion's there. I like the idea that his goddaughter would come in and reconnect him with his wife. That's a cool... Concept. By the way, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, good in this movie, character's interesting, doesn't have enough to do. Again, good concept for an Indiana Jones mm. character, not well executed. I like her, I like the dynamic between them, I like the scene where she seems for a second is going to betray him and just like work with the Nazis, and I was like, this is cool, and then she Dude, oh, dude could you that, imagine, but... this movie would be so much better if she was just like, oh, she inherited the, like scumbag trait of Mm -hmm. like treasure hunters and she's gonna be scumbag to the ultimate scumbag indiana jones but yep nope nothing there but yeah marion they do the they do the stupid this callback did not work for me Um, oh the kissing kissing the elbow elbow, and i'm just like because the thing that makes that so sweet in the first movie is that it's spur of the moment and flirty and sweet and intimate and in this movie it's like Remember when we were young and, and we conceived <laughs> yeah. Williams on a boat run oh, by God, pirates right before you got kidnapped on a U-boat and the Ark of the Covenant <laughs> melted the Nazis' that, faces off? Dude, that's what I'm saying. His impromptu bit about, like, smooching his gal is the least interesting, least memorable thing that happened that weekend to them. They're not mm-hmm. like, do you remember that little cute thing you did? They're like, we need, like, legit therapy, which won't be invented for a while, that we don't get and we're all messed up about watching... Nazis get melted. And then also in that same scene, Sala leaves. And I was like, oh, you know, it's nice that Sala and Marion and Indy got to be together for one last scene, you know, because Sala and Marion, we never get to see together after Raiders. And I think that that's like nice because they have a real genuine connection. 
and then Sala leaves and he's like, hey, you remember when Sala sang that one song in, in, in Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark? What if he just did that again off screen? And again, but I just, did remember, oh, Garrett. I did remember. Just, just have him sing a different song because Sala sings. Uh, That's part of his thing is he sings. Yeah, he sings in like many parts of Raiders, I think. So just have him sing another song. We get it. We would get it. It doesn't have to be the exact song. It feels like a kid's idea of, like, what if Indiana Jones and Sala and Marion all hung out again, and what would they do? And it was just like, well, Sala would sing the song that he sings, and Marion and Indy would kiss like they did before, and Indiana Jones would grab his hat off the clothesline because he wears it during sex. Oh, uh, he does, apparently. Except, except that also doesn't make sense, because if you really want to follow the kissing elbow scene to its conclusion... She rips the hat off his that head. That is true. Also, something, something, uh, whip, summer uh. of love. I don't know when that was. They're going to go to a swingers party at Indiana Jones's loud neighbor's house. They're, they're going to go to Woodstock, Seamus. Yeah, gonna... there you go. There it is. Indiana Jones is going to do LSD, and he's going to be like, <laughs> I saw aliens that one time. And they're going to like, sure, Dr. Jones, sure. See, I liked a lot when he was like, a few times in my life I've seen things that I can't explain. I drank the blood of Kali. And <laughs> yeah, oh, that was a fun... That was one of those moments where it was like he, he specifically talks about drinking the blood of Kali, being tortured with voodoo, and then we get a present-day bug hallway giant centipede thing. Everybody hates Which the, he was the more afraid bugs. of in this movie than he has ever been of bugs. I don't know if you want tarantulas on your face or whatever. That yeah. tarantula was hanging on to that hat. I did think it was interesting that we got that not very long after what are supposed to be the creepy crawlies in this movie and again really cool concept for indie creepy crawlies the eels down in the shipwreck indiana jones dives to a ancient greek shipwreck and has to fight off eels and you can't see any of it dude it is insane I get dark, scary ocean scene, claustrophobic. You're 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 down in the dark ocean depths, but like we gotta see it. We gotta know what the hell is happening. What also makes that scene so hard is that they're all just in diving masks and diving gear. I could so not tell like, who was who. Who is who? Who's trapped in the boat? Who got their hose cut? I wasn't sure for a minute. And who why that did he was. die? Why did that make him die immediately instead of just going back to the surface like Phoebe Waller Bridge? It felt like in average studio adventure movie that would be like a riff on indiana jones it felt like the mummy returns or something but even the mummy returns is better than this movie i think Mummy returns is dope i can believe and understand the demented dwayne johnson cgi in that movie and i accept it for what it is but when they're like they want me to my eyes to be visually actually tricked to think that i'm looking at young harrison ford it just doesn't quite lock in for me we alluded to this before spoilers. Also, the scene where they do the water displacement puzzle, and it's just a nothing scene. Why is that scene in the movie? It's not the whole oh, the pleasure puzzle. of watching Indiana Jones solve a puzzle is that it's cool to watch Indiana Jones solve a puzzle. National Treasure understands this. National, National Treasure Tre- does understand this. And National Treasure also understands don't make the threat in the room literally an invisible gas, probably. Like, you know, you can play with that idea, but... If the puzzle itself is going to be 45 seconds flat, and then you're just like, don't breathe the thing that you can't see, and we'll just walk around this empty room until we figure it out instantly, it, it, it kind of sucks. There's a thing where she's like, I memorized all my dad's journals, and he's like, you memorized them all? And she's like, the important bits? Why wasn't there a moment of recall where she's like, oh, one of the things I thought wasn't important but actually is the key to this puzzle then I have to, like, show my humility after having this mask on this entire time. Can you tell that four guys wrote this movie? Can you, can <laughs> yes, you tell that? Yes, I can. And it sounds like they all wrote it separately and they just threw it all together in one room. Including David Kep, who wrote Crystal Skull. And, you know, Jurassic Park and Spider-Man 1, like, good movies, you know. Like, good movies, for and sure. And Crystal and Skull, but... There are pieces of this movie. I feel like it's worse and it's more sad in my mind when we come together and see a movie and recognize the pieces that could have existed in a good place but 
don't and never will ever again because uh-huh. it's stuck in the final product of just overproduction, it feels like. There should have been, like, even some of the stuff in the parade chase, which I ultimately thought was pretty fun. Great idea! You know what that scene I kept thinking about? It feels like the part in Crystal Skull where they're in the jungle. It feels like we're just nowhere. <laughs> yes, exactly. It feels like you're nowhere, and, like, even doing something as insane as oh, everyone in in New York is out in the streets right now. Every cop in New York is out in this event that they're working. And we're going to have the guy just, like, start shooting into the air to, like, oh, I'm going to get the drop on Indiana Jones. It feels like the parade that they're in doesn't matter and wouldn't even matter if it were in a different set piece. Like, The the parade needed to be the centerpiece. Yeah. It's kind of the ultimate wasted opportunity because even with the dumb, semi-ambiguous... Looney Tunes effect on Indiana Jones pulling his hat off of a clothesline. This is the wrap up here. We're not getting another. It's dissatisfying to say the least that this is the finale. If if this was more of a mid tier Temple of Doom style, whatever the hell, there there's something there. But it, there's more missteps than there are you know things in the positive direction here. I don't think I have been as surprised in a movie theater this year as watching Indiana Jones parachute into the middle of a Roman battle absolutely bonkers watching nazis get turned into jelly by like massive ballista bolts that are ripping through a plane ah there's things garrett there are things also the the lucasfilm transition into the lock on the truck is lame that's a lame transition like i know that they were trying to do something there but oh they were trying to do a lot of things garrett but they were maybe trying to do too many things and too little of them made it into the final product so we kind of have the the perfect storm here unfortunate i kind of want to go rewatch crystal skull which is uh, dude, an insane I, thing, is that crazy saying, I, that's... return garrett return <laughs> i keep thinking the same thing oh boy it's crazy yeah. it is crazy that that is the conclusion that this movie has brought us to but I that like is, that Mutt Williams died in Vietnam. I like <laughs> I, it. It's a good I'm, thing. Like, I'm horrified and shocked and appalled. I love it. It's crazy. It's one of my favorite details, and I think that's worth seeing this movie for. There's so many core flaws of this movie, but the scenes that are good, it has moments. I don't hate it. I don't hate it either. I would even venture to say that I liked watching it. Now, that might be different from I liked the movie, but I, I really did like watching you it. You and I were having a great time, I think, oh, in yeah. the movie theater. I was getting big. I was gasping. There were gasps. When they finally go through the portal, I'm like, I knew there was going to be something, but I didn't know how absolutely whack it was going to be. And I kind of loved how shocked everything turned out to be. But what do you say we move it on over to this week's pop culture reference? Let's do it. For today's pop culture reference, we're going to be talking about Indiana Jones and the Spear of Destiny. In 1995, the four-issue comic run Indiana Jones and the Spear of Destiny officially introduced the mythical artifact for the very first time for the adventure following the events of the Last Crusade, featuring the return of Henry Jones Sr. The spear is based on the real-life legend of the spear tip that was used to pierce the side of Jesus at his crucifixion in Christian mythology. And the rumors of Hitler's obsession with its occult powers during his reign over Germany were a major inspiration for the stories of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Though the final film has no mention of it, the initial draft of the Raiders script, written by Lawrence Kasdan, uses Hitler's conquering of Austria as an explanation for the attempted capture of the spear and its power. A completely separate Spear of Destiny was an intended follow-up to the 1991 adventure video game Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis but was shelved soon after the start of pre-development due to the clashing between LucasArts and the external studio that was going to develop the game itself. The Spear of Destiny appears in notable fantasy sci-fi franchises such as Tomb Raider, Constantine, Evangelion, Wolfenstein, and many others that pull from both Christian iconography and the legends of Nazi occultism. Though it is not a focus of the film, the Spear, referred to as the Lance of Longinus, and Hitler's fixation on it are featured in the intro of Dial of Destiny finally bringing this concept to the mainline Indiana Jones films. Seamus, this is not really related to the Spear of Destiny, but I want to play Fate of Atlantis so bad. Dude, I have always wanted to play Fate of Atlantis. That was like the old, old school ancient, because we never really got a great indie game besides the Lego 
additions, you know? Like, the Staff of Kings was kind of lame. Staff the of one Kings, I played, I mean... It's off because the PS2 version is bad, and the Wii version is good, except the motion controls are just awful. <laughs> <laughs> well, weirdly enough, I played the PSP version, and let me tell you, one analog stick... Yeah, dude, one analog stick does not vibe with that kind of action video game stuff, I'll tell you. Actually, coming back to Fate of Atlantis, if you beat the game, Staff of Kings... It unlocks, there's just the oh, whole game, what? Fate of Atlantis, on that game. That's crazy. That is, like, kind of awesome. Do you think that's on the PSP version, too? I have no idea. Yeah. Honestly, though, has there ever been a better motivator to beat a terrible Wii game than to play the real game that's unlocked at the end of it? Like, I, that's pretty good I motivation. Know, do I want to play Fate of Atlantis on my Wii? Does that, like... <laughs> I guess, I guess. Hey, maybe one day they'll make this Spear of Destiny sequel that we've, uh, we've all been clamoring for since 1991, so... But with that, what do you say we wrap up our indie extravaganza our many weeks of going back on on this beloved character we wrap it up and we save the rec center let's save it save the rec center now it's time to save the rec center where we give you our recommendations garrett what do you got for me this week Seamus, have you heard of the new movie Past Lives by Celine Song? I have not. Should I have? It's a new... I don't dare say this word as a descriptor, but I will acknowledge that it is, in fact, distributed by the distribution company A24. <laughs> got you, so, got you. No pigeonholing here, my friend. No I, pigeonholing I here. I just will tell you that that is true. <laughs> it is a beautiful film about the relationship between two people over different periods of their lives as one of them leaves their initial home in Korea and moves to North America and the other stays in Korea. And so it's about half set in the United States and half set in Korea, as well as being predominantly in Korean, but also being partially in English. And it is a haunting subtle film that in addition to being formally and emotionally just monumental also does a really good job at being a 2012 period piece which i think is just rad huh. that's what my imac looked in 2012 yeah that's right <laughs> it's weird to have things that can do that at this point in our lives i saw it a couple weeks ago it's really good. It's a directorial debut, which is really hard to believe with how well-made the film is. Outstanding performances. And actually, the Italian guy from Overlord, John Magaro, <laughs> oh, is no in way. this movie. So. Right on, right on. Well, that sounds great. I, I definitely, I'm kind of in the space right now that that sounds perfect for me. I, I would love to come check that out. Could you say the name for me again real quick? Past Lives. Right on, dude. I'm definitely I'm definitely going to check that out. I'm going to tell you right now, I guess it's not that much of a shock, that I'm in the mood for like a heartbreaking, sad, but beautiful kind of film. Uh, I'm in the mood for that. I'm also, I'm in the mood for love, Garrett. I don't... Yo. Yo, my friend. I know you're a fan. I found out last night that I have never seen this movie, and I was thinking of a completely different film. I, like, started it, and then I got 20 or 30 minutes in, and I was like, I have no clue what I'm watching. This is fascinating. For a long time, it was something that I had remember watching in a class, film studies or something, that I thought I knew what I was watching, and I didn't. And I just had an incredible time watching Wong Kar Wai's In the Mood for Love. Again, on the little Criterion section on Max, I've been perusing around there, and... I think it was beautiful, and the music is just, like, chilling and so desperately sad and beautiful. There's this theme that runs throughout the whole film that I, I fell in love with the, the, plucks, the entire time. The little... Yeah, the little plucks with the, like, weary violin over it is is beautiful. It's incredible, and I would like to watch it again, because... Again, I was a little confused thinking I knew what I was doing at first, but now I want to I want to revisit this with a little bit more forethought in what I'm about to see. I know that there's the spiritual sequel or 2046. Sequel. Yeah, oh, 2046 yeah, that's a that great I one. You've definitely talked to me about that before and I I've 
never seen it, don't really know how close it is to what I'm expecting again. But the, the that's something I've learned about Wong Kar Wai is that expectations aren't always the best thing to have with his work because no matter what, they're going to be betrayed and you're going to be just enchanted by everything you see. So if anybody hasn't seen In the Mood for Love, it is an absolute must-watch. It is, it is beautiful. Maggie Chung and Tony Long... Two of the best to ever do it. I weep for them. They are so incredible. They really are. We were so in sync this week. We Look really kind of were. I didn't realize that that was how that was going to go. Then again, I didn't plan on watching In the Mood for Love last night, but I kind of just on a whim did it, and it was it was the right choice. Well, if you don't want to see an underwhelming finale question mark to <laughs> a beloved franchise, then find yourself a nice East Asian pining period romance film. What I've always wanted, Garrett. That's what I always wanted. Surely Indiana Jones isn't that. So, so there you go. No time for love, they might say. <laughs> no time for love. But that wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show, you can find us at PCR underscore podcast on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email the show at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, subscribe on YouTube, do whatever you can to engage. It really does help the show out. And next week, our mission, should we choose to accept it, is to break down the first six Mission Impossible films in one supersized episode probably but we we have some thoughts about how we can maybe address that that problem we have been building to this literally since the beginning of the podcast we have been talking about how someday we're gonna cover the mission impossible movies and day is finally here i'm so excited to to take this journey with you and tom and ever and ving i'm so excited i i cannot wait i'm doing my rewatch just like you are i'm I'm excited to say the least, and, and God help me, I'm excited for Dead Reckoning too. That's going to make my heart explode. July is going to be a crazy month for us, Seamus. <laughs> it's going to be a crazy month for the podcast. Oh, it's I'm going to learn how to sprint run like Tom Cruise and get fit on the treadmill and scare everybody else in my gym. And, 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 and we're going to run to see this movie. It's going to be the ultimate July. Everybody, we will see you next week. Adios, amigos. Adios, amigos.